afternoon. This is On the Line. I'm Joe Mullings in studio with Joe Urban. We're at Studio Potrero. Joe? As our guest, we have one of our technical advisors, John N. Gates, the former CTO of Rackspace, who's helping us with our cloud storage and computing strategy as we bring Potrero and our advanced algorithms to the market. Welcome, John. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is cool. It's great to to be here. shared with us some of the early stories of Rackspace, like a tremendous success story. What employee number were you? I was probably uh, 30, employee number 30 in, at the company. And that, that was during a burst of, of growth. We were a company that was just like every other dot-com in the 2000 era. We were going to try to go public in August of 2000. <laughs> and so the day I joined was the week that that company, Rackspace at the time, was on a roadshow to try to go public. And uh, you know, they wanted to participate in that dot-com craziness like every other company. We recognized that week that that wasn't going to be quite our path forward because one of our competitors sort of went out public hmm. the week before we did or the day before we did, and they started to trade down. And that was really because the market was starting to crumble. The, the dot-com uh, bubble had started to burst. And I don't think everybody recognized that it was completely burst yet, but it was starting to. And uh, it really changed the trajectory of the company. Very quickly, we went from this high-flying company that was spending a million dollars a month on marketing and doing crazy conferences all over the world to try to promote the brand and do tons of marketing. We had a huge marketing team. Our marketing team was probably bigger than our tech team because we were really trying to get the message out. But when we recognized that there was no go public event happening in August of 2000, we had to get to be a real company very quickly. We had to turn off all the marketing. We had to get lean. We had to figure out what was the core of the company, what were customers valuing at the company. And we had to go from being sort of this unprofitable, uh, broken company to being profitable and and getting that way very quickly. And so we cut some folks and we uh, recognized that there were probably even some customers that we probably needed to fire that were either not paying their bills or were never going to be able to pay their bills. Um, we reached out to other customers and some of them, uh, we, we helped right size their spend with the company because they were some of them spending ahead of their own growth and we wanted them to succeed and continue to pay us for a long time. So we helped right size their spend with us by you know, either removing some servers or lowering the cost. And so we used uh, really the, the customer service relationships that we built with those customers to, to reach out and have conversations with them to figure out what what we were going to be able to do to help both companies succeed, you know, in the long term. Um, but some of the companies were just, you know, they were dot coms that had bad ideas that were never going to survive, mm-hmm. and so those people had to go away. And we we had to very quickly figure out which ones they were, and sort of, uh, you know, say, if you don't pay your bill tomorrow, you got to go. So anyway, it was a very stressful time for the company. We were all fairly young guys and girls that were, you know, trying to figure out how to do a startup in San Antonio, Texas, where it's, you know, it's not the home of startups. This is not Silicon Valley. This is Texas. And uh, luckily, we had good leadership. We had some good folks on the team that uh, that knew about business, knew about finance, knew how to turn a company into a real company. And and uh, we, we turned the company around pretty quickly. That's great. 
I wanted to jump into something. I got a chance to pull one of your articles. Sure. Um, John N. Gates' cloud predictions for 2018. Awesome. These are always fun. You bring up security compliance and rise of managed security service providers, mm-hmm. right? So we just watched something that was a little scary to me with uh, Facebook and the data breach. And then our government grilling Facebook's leadership. And it was very clear on how little they know or even can conceptualize about what's going on. So what are your thoughts on security and who sets that up when you've got the proverbial tortoise running the government and setting guidelines and the technological hair way out ahead? How does that declare itself over the next couple of years? Well, I, I agree with you that the uh, that the regulations have never kept up with the state of the art in terms of technology or security or whatnot. So we're always going to be behind in that regard. I think companies and industries themselves have to figure out what they have to do to protect their their data. Their data has become uh, critical in terms of value and in terms of the success and livelihood of the company. You know, if you leak all your data out on the internet, if you lose your data, if you have a breach of trust. I mean, you, you saw that what it did to Facebook stock over the next few days. I mean, they recovered a little bit, but it really shakes the foundations of trust with, within the, the user base and the customer base and the broader market. And, uh, and when that extends into things like government, it sort of shakes the foundations of what the population even believes in. So some governments, you know, the, the Europeans are pushing hard on security and privacy. They have a new regulation they call the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR. If you haven't heard about that, it's something that uh, is going to hit a lot of companies pretty hard. And it's not just European companies. It's going to bleed over into every company that interacts with a European citizen in any way, shape, or form. If you hold their data, uh, you're going to have to comply with GDPR. And if you don't comply with GDPR, they're going to come after your revenue in terms of percentage of your revenue, in terms of the fines. It's not just a slap on the wrist. It's not just a you know, 10000 or it's It could be a percentage chunk of your revenue. Uh, that is at risk. So, so uh, similar to uh, like a HIPAA compliant, yeah, personal health information, but on steroids. Basically, on steroids it's like a bigger deal for it, everybody. Everybody, every yeah. company that interacts with data that uh, European citizens, and so it's a big deal. And I think that is going to start to uh, eventually bleed over into the U.S. market in terms of regulations and and uh, laws. That came up during the uh, Zuckerberg hearing, uh, he mentioned that the uh, Europeans were a little ahead of us in terms of some of their regulations. And uh, Facebook may be looking at that as a way to normalize what their policies are across uh, geographies and regions and countries and whatnot, because, you know, they don't want to have to comply with something really difficult over here and something not so difficult. I mean, they'd rather have it be uniform so that they know that they're in compliance across the board. But I would also say that Facebook internally is probably going far beyond what's mandated by a government in terms of a security regulation or a privacy regulation in certain instances. Sometimes they're lax, but I I guarantee you that in terms of prioritizing, protecting the crown jewels of their company, the core data, the code of, you know, Facebook's code, I'm sure that they take extraordinary steps in terms of protecting that data from the bad guys. Because, you know, think of the ramifications if somebody hacks into the corporate network at Facebook and takes all the source code for that platform and sends it to China or sells it to Russia or whatever. I mean, it's very damaging to the company. And so they are taking security seriously for their own benefit. And then, you know, now they're starting to recognize they have to do it also for their 
for their customers and their users benefit as well. I'm just curious, at the, the rate and pace that technology is declaring itself, especially in the cloud, um, is, is almost daily. And government doesn't move like that. Right. And so how do you see that compliance, where government's great at establishing and enforcing, but not at declaring and defining, especially at the breakneck pace? Right. If you were an architect, what would be your thoughts on putting together best in class on that? Well, I think the, the number one thing is that the government cannot get into the business of specifying the technologies that people are going to use or the specific uh, controls that they're going to use. They have to be more general and more broad. They have to define some guardrails in which you can operate. They have to define some minimum standards in terms of things like when are you going to declare a breach and how are you going to tell people about it. I mean, there are some things that I think the government can do, but they can't tell companies which firewall they must use or how they must encrypt the data, which data te you know, encryption technology must be used or which cloud you're going to store your data. I mean, that stuff gets beyond uh, the scope of what any government regulation can do. And I think that balance has to remain. I mean, there's no way they can go you know, into, into uh, dictating a particular piece of technology. You do you think industry leaders like the rack spaces and the Googles and the Apples would be the leaders of giving guidance to the government? Because I'm not even sure respectfully that those who set laws and precedent and guidelines in our government really can get their arms wrapped around this. Right. Well, I will, I will say that there are certainly some in the government, there are pockets within the federal government that are very good at security and at, at uh, cyber. And, you know, I mean, we've got the of NSA course. and of the course. Air Force and all that. I mean, those folks are some of the best in the world, but they don't set policy that makes its way into the law. They defend us on a day in, day out basis. And maybe some of what they do makes its way into the law, but but very little. I would say more, they're more, you know, it's, it's like saying, does the army set policy for how we conduct business, you know, in our daily lives? It doesn't. It doesn't really. Yeah. Uh, so I would say um, that, yes, the industry has a big role to play. Industry is much more on the front lines of you know, what's going on in, in the economy. I mean, you know, look, Facebook and, and Amazon and Google drive a ton of, of our tech economy and they drive a lot of jobs in this country and, and they're going to uh, be in a position to really help um, educate in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you saw this play out with the iPhones that were locked. You saw, you know, Apple right. debating yeah. whether we should make iPhones easier to break into or should they be harder to break into. I mean, there are, there are arguments on both sides of that where... You know, I, I've made arguments on both sides of that. I said, look, make it as hard as humanly possible to break into that so that, uh, you know, my data and my you know, credit card information and all my assets. I mean, I sort of think of my iPhone as an extension of my brain at this point, right? I, I do. It's where I keep a lot of informa information that I wouldn't want anybody to see. And when, when you think about that, you wouldn't want anybody to be able to look into your brain and see what, what's floating around there. So therefore, you don't want anybody to see your phone. But at the same time... We have terrorists, we have bad guys, we have organized crime that are using these cell phones to conduct business, right? And, and how does law enforcement enforce the law if they can't see what's going on out there, if they can't you know, figure out how these guys are operating or where they are or who so they are? So this is just like the digital version of TSA. We've hardened the target throughout the United States right. because of a couple bad guys, justifiably right. so. To make it inconvenient for everybody else, right. well, and the uh, correlation I see, Joe, is what happened in the early two thousands with uh, Avamed, and Congress had come to the pharmaceutical industry and the medical device industry, and they said, 
you need to clean up the way that you practice business. No more taking uh, doctors to Disneyland for their vacation. You know, that was common practice in the 80s and 90s. And they said, if you don't fix it, we will, and you won't like the way that we fix it. And so industry came together and put together some pretty rigorous outlines and said that they were going to adhere to a code, right? And something, hopefully, uh, industry on that side sees a clearer path to do that and to take the reins. And I don't think they'll be happy with what comes out because it was evident Mm -hmm. that they didn't understand what the internet was even about, you know, like it was really the Facebook, right? right, Or the question, well, if you don't charge users, how do you actually make money? How do you make money? We run ads. (laughs) It was classic. You know, it reminded me in the 1990s when uh, Bill Gates was summoned to Congress as well. Do you have a, a monopoly, Mr. Gates? No, I don't. And they said, raise your hand if you use Microsoft. And every single person raised their hand. Raise your hand if you don't. No one did. And Bill Gates's response I thought was brilliant. He said, listen, I know how to beat Microsoft, but I'm not going to tell you how that is, right? Like <laughs> what you need to do. That is a brilliant and, one. Yeah. So do you think in the next 20 years, uh, is this a winner take all? Or do you think there will be multiple players in different industries, uh, like if we flash forward to 2040? Well, it's it's hard to predict that. I mean, it was it was hard to know how even the public cloud would shake out where we have Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and then, you know, some others that are participating. It was hard to see that 10 years ago. I mean, we knew Amazon was going to be big because they were way out ahead, but nobody really knew if Microsoft or Google could sort of play catch up or, or stay in the game. They didn't know if the telcos were going to mount a real competitor force against that or, uh, or if the cloud was going to go, you know, sort of uh, distributed and open source. I mean, you know, think about there is too much for any one in company to sort of own end to end, start to finish. I mean, even in the public cloud, that's not the case. There are tons of companies out there that have, uh, you know, niche cloud platforms in different countries and different right. industries. Um, there's still a lot of private clouds out there. Uh, there is really so much that I doubt that it's going to go to any winner-take-all kind of proposition. Do you start to see nations emerge on their own clouds in that market? Well, that is an area where uh, nations are starting to see uh, um, you know, a national defense sort of problem if they don't have control of their own clouds, if you will. I mean, if you look at AI and machine learning, those technologies – have ramifications down the road. Um, you know, if, if you're behind as a cu- country in terms of machine learning or AI, uh, or behind in terms of quantum computing, some of these technologies that are, you know, two or three, you know, decades down the road in terms of real maturity, um, countries are still very concerned that if they don't stay on the leading edge, they'll get so far behind that they can't catch up. And then they'll be you know, uh, there'll be third world countries all of a sudden, you know, even though they were first world when it was in the industrial age, the computing age kind of throws them into a sort of a new competitive landscape. And they worry that they don't have that uh, uh, ability. And so there are a lot of con- countries, China, for example, is intent on building their own processors because they don't want to wait for Intel or AMD or somebody else to do it for them and have to buy from an American company. They want to do it themselves. So countries are no longer terra firma. If you just just project that out 10, 15 years. So China is real estate and it becomes also a cloud. The U.S. is real estate. It also becomes a cloud. And then businesses are starting to be built up on a cloud. Right. And no longer real estate. 
right? Factory floors, but those factory floors are now up in the cloud. Um, and then just people being people, wars are fought on terra firma yeah. and on clouds. Right. Philosophy is, on that. This is exactly right. I mean, th these are the these are the things that are playing out in the minds of um, <clears throat> you know certain parts of our government. Is how do we protect against you know the uh, national security threats that exist in the cloud space? And this is because that's where business is going to live. I bet you today, if you think about you know where are the important blueprints for some of our you know aircraft carriers or jets or, you know, real national security assets, they probably are in a cloud somewhere, right? They are probably in some form of a data center, uh, private cloud, public cloud, probably a combination of those. And if you extrapolate that, like I said before, to, you know, some of our most important industries, the, the medical field's a pretty important one, right? I mean, we've got patient data, we've got people's lives at, right. at risk. If that data either uh, is lost or it's breached in some way or it's, uh, you know, we've, we've seen these uh, ransomware attacks, these encryption attacks where people are encrypting all of the data for an entire hospital system. What does that do to that hospital system? It puts them basically in, at a standstill and they can't take care of patients anymore. And so that's a risk that we as industry, as companies and as a country right. have to protect against. And so when you see these countries like China doing that, they're trying to make sure that 10 years down the road, there isn't some sort of a kill switch that the U.S. can flip that says, we can shut your country down because we've got stuff embedded in all your processors and in all your machinery. And Russia's doing the same thing. Or a Manchurian processor. Right, right. <laughs> exactly right. right? So the, that, that is where the, the future cyber, you know, they talk about cyber war, cyber warfare. That's not just a term that we hear in the movies for, you know, sort of... Uh, it's happening. It's real. It's real. This is, this is real. So, John, for industry in the, the medical field, healthcare, hospitals, what, what can industry, whether it's uh, a guy like me and a company like Petro, somebody that's entering into the machine learning AI space actively, what can we do to protect uh, that data? And how can we uh, translate that to our customers who are the hospitals that it's uh, protected, that we're providing clinical guidance for them that's secure? And uh, that's the qu first question. And the second question is like, what do you see the uh, opportunities for the hospital to protect well, I think the first thing is to make sure that we all take lessons from other industries and we don't go in thinking that we know everything there is to know about, you know, cybersecurity or data security or whatever it is. I mean, there are there are people, like I said, that are truly on the front lines. I mean, I think uh, at Rackspace, we got a, a really good lesson in the early days of, of our company because we actually uh, were... Uh, used as a jumping off point for a series of hacks or, or breaches, one of the servers was sitting in a Rackspace data center. And so we sort of got sucked into the investigation. It wasn't because of Rackspace. It just happened to be in the chain of events that, that took place. But it was basically Chinese uh, hackers trying to hack into you know, U.S. assets, and they were trying to hide their tracks. And Google was involved in this. And we sort of got a dose of the reality of what cyber you know, warfare kind of looked like, what the threats looked like, what the level of um, sophistication of these bad guys was and the, the persistence of these bad guys. And it was, it was eye-opening for us. And so I think there are a lot of companies in you know, corporate America that have not had that big moment when you know, the bad guy really owns them and really has control and really 
is a um, company ending kind of an event. And when you when you don't have one of those, sometimes you don't put enough effort into your cybersecurity team. You don't go hire the best. You don't go invest in the best. You don't give the the tools that those guys need. But that's so, normal. We don't harden a target in this country that's until right. we're absolutely that's right. nailed. That's right. Yeah. And so short of going to that extent, you know, that extreme of waiting till we get nailed to learn the lesson, at least let's have a regular conversation about this at the CEO level, the board level. Let's at least bring it to the table instead of sort of saying, well, our cyber team's got it. They're, you know, they've don't assume right. that they've got, you know, that they've got it. Make sure it's a priority. If you're, Funding is a priority and your finances are a priority and your corporate strategy is a priority. Why is security not a priority? Because it could end your company and it could end your career if it's it's something that uh, you don't take seriously. That's right. And we've seen this across industries. Right. Um, So as far as a medical device company, cybersecurity, where where do you start? Protect the data. Like if you're going to be collecting data about patients, if you're going to be collecting a stream of sensor data and you're going to be storing it somewhere, make sure that's encrypted. Make sure that data is encrypted at rest. Make sure it's encrypted in flight when it's transmitting between data centers or facilities. Make sure that it's um, not kept on a server in the corner of your office that can be picked up and walked out the door. You know, that people sometimes assume falsely that because it's here, it's more secure than if it's in the cloud. And that's a false assumption. That is that is a bad assumption. That's happened in Silicon Valley where people have walked into an unsecured building and walked out with just a computer. Yeah, the, I mean, the computer is not valuable. It's what's on the computer. Exactly. It's the assets. It, it's sometimes the prototype of, of a device or it's sometimes the design of a device. So, John, this is a new aspect for a lot of medical device companies, startups, as we, again, get into AI and, and machine learning. What's a cybersecurity team look like for a company? As we go forward, well, I think you have to start with uh, somebody who is a cybersecurity leader who has some some experience. You know, this, oftentimes that's a chief information security officer, a chief security officer. You can call them whatever you want, but it's somebody who um, has a high level view on trying to protect not just one piece of code. I mean, you could you could have a very security minded software engineer, but he's not thinking about the big picture. He's thinking about the software. You know, how do you protect now the building? Well, that's, that's a different, you know, set of skills than, than protecting the network. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're very different. And so you, you sort of, again, need to zoom out a little bit and think about where your risk lies and risk management is a, is a role in a company. And, and so maybe a, you know, a, a strong senior uh, cyber leader who, who has sort of a perspective on how to protect us from a you know multi-dimensional threat. So Joe's in the the human talent. So who would he target to uh, to bring that into an organization, whether it's Petro or, or any organization in Silicon Valley or elsewhere that is getting into machine learning AI? Like who would be an ideal chief security officer? Yeah, somebody who's probably worked in software is a good place to start. You know, somebody who's been in a software as a service company, SaaS is hard to protect against because you have users all over the place. They're sitting in coffee shops. They're sitting in, you know, corporate offices. And so you've got sort of the, the full spectrum of, of risk. SaaS companies would be a great place because they've, they've, got, they've, they've come up it. against yeah. really tough situations. And, and they have to protect the software, the people, the hardware, the network, the, the, and the end users as well. Yeah. I would say, uh, 
you know, maybe somebody from the, with a military background as well. You know, somebody that's come from the Air Force Cyber Command, maybe one of those guys that's really seen the other side. And, you know, somebody who can go and, and attract other cyber talent because, you know, it's, it's not a one-man show. It's got to be, you know, it's got to be something where you can piece together the strategy from vendors and tools and technologies and people and, and have an experience level to understand that there isn't sort of a magic bullet that you can just go write a check. You have to build that sort of for each company individually. You have to leverage those people strategically for so that you can offload some of the work, but you still need to have somebody who's architecting your security story and your compliance Very similar story. to my business, right? There's always yeah. a, a chief talent officer within the organization. Joe happens to be the one at Petrero beside right. being the CEO. And then what he does, he builds a talent acquisition strategy right. with guidance from experts. And That's it's right. very similar. And what I was going to say is that it, it, this is this goes back to the conversations we've had. The world has changed for our, our industry. And um, as more companies get into machine learning AI, the, the, what a typical... Uh, team looks like today is not what it's going to look like tomorrow. Uh, with AI, machine learning, device integration, we're going to have to have a brand new, this is why we're doing things differently. We're going to have to have not only data scientists, but cybersecurity experts and build out a team that will be today unconventional, yeah. but tomorrow normal. MedTech has not seen this. No. I, I want to jump back on one thing here that was really interesting in the beginning. So I've been involved in building these large surgical robotic ecosystems. And, and one of them being, as you know, Verb Surgical and Google, working with Google and J&J. And the biggest challenge is that med tech, HIPAA, hospital, mm -hmm. right? And, and, that, and then you mentioned, ideally, we greatly reduce friction by having them all on the same cloud. Mm -hmm. What is prohibiting that from happening today? Nothing, nothing really. I think it's not just, technologically, yeah. but from the decision maker's mind, the people who well, sit I think, in those I think sometimes um, there is the, uh, the, the risk that you're giving away something that's valuable, you know, too early. Like if, if, you know, we know that certain aspects of every industry get commoditized over time, but at some stage, those were not commodities. They were something that, that a company saw as super critical and super valuable and has to be, I have to do this myself. I mean, in the early days of industry, People generated their own power, right? They thought that was a strategic asset to generate your own power. <laughs> we still and have a water wheel. They don't do that much yeah, anymore, right? right? Most people don't. And and for a lot of years, having your own data center was a strategic, important thing. We had to have the data center right there, right? And so not anymore. Nobody sees that as a strategic uh, necessity anymore. So I would say it takes time. You know, it's sort of that that general purpose cloud goes to a special purpose cloud when enough companies sort of see commonality amongst their needs and they say, we don't need to continually reinvent this thing. Let's just find somebody that's got a good idea and let's just sort of gravitate to that. You know, open source technology is is possibly a way to accelerate that. I mean, we see that in our in our cloud space where people have gravitated to using open source tools instead of buying uh, or trying to build themselves, they, they sort of gravitate to an open source operating system or open source database or open source Whatever, and it may be it may be a good way for uh, certain folks in the um, in the medical industry to sort of you know get, get there quicker. Is to say, look, we're just going to give it away. Why, why should we own this? Why should we? Why don't we get a community together to participate? So, right. Immediately, I think of that. You know, I'm thinking as we sit yeah. here. If I had the top 
So we have intuitive, and I'm just from a business model because this uh, runs right next to what Petro is doing. If I'm intuitive and I own intuitive surgical and I own the surgical robotics world right now, right, right, I know Medtronic and J and J and Oris and whoever else is out there. The big ecosystems are coming for me. If I were the three people going after intuitive, I would say, listen, let's all jump in and make the same cloud. Let's make a surgical robotics cloud that we will share. And we will commoditize the hard lifting that already is a barrier to resistance in the market. And then just outsource that, co-source that. But the three of you or whoever it is, four of you, build that cloud. And now you there's more than enough food on the table. What is it? Less than 5% mm-hmm. of surgeries are done uh, with robotics. robotics. Right. right. Would that be a potential? Yeah. There's an example of this in the in my world, the data center world. Um you know, Google was always renowned for having invented a lot of their own data center technology, their own cooling technology, their own networking, even the servers, the way they they built servers was very unconventional. They didn't go buy off the shelf enterprise servers. They built these boards that, that held multiple servers. They had no face plates on them. They were racked as, as densely as possible. They would blow air through these machines. They had, had no fans. They would force air through the machines. And they were basically trying to lower the cost radically, take out all the components they didn't need, save a lot of money. And so that was their, they, but they didn't share that with the world. They never, told, they never told anybody about this. It was, you know, secrets that would leak out. Well, what Facebook did a few years ago was, look, they said, we know that that's going to be a competitive risk for us if we don't sort of take that same level of innovation in terms of data center design. So let's open it up and let's make a open source community for data center uh, specs. Let's make, they called it open compute. Open compute project was uh, started by Facebook. We were invited in early. Uh, and since then it has been a whole community effort to go design very high density, high efficiency data centers, share the plans, the, the community to be a member of this community. You have to submit, uh, on a regular basis, you have to submit plans for new innovative devices or else you pay a lot of money to be part of this community. What's the benefit for a Facebook to do that now yeah. with well, the, others? The, the benefit to Facebook is they get to participate in a community where they get to see what's coming up in terms of the next wave. Like if, if the, the world is moving away from spinning hard drives to solid state storage, Facebook sees who's innovating in that space because they're participating in that community. They don't have to go, it, it doesn't have to be invented by Facebook. Uh, it can be invented by anybody in the community. And they have a very good position sitting up on top of the hill because they're the sort of the lead of that community. So everybody in that community becomes sort of a proving ground for what Facebook's next possible technology adoption yeah. might be. And then they also get a, um, supply chain advantage. Supply chain becomes a thing where you you know you want to play vendors off one another. You want to get the best price. You want to make sure you've got the spec. They, they're building a spec and they're giving that spec out to the community. And then they're letting folks in China that build these specs uh, build the servers themselves. And and uh, you know they get an advantage off of the supply chain negotiation and positioning. I think the challenge would be like especially in robotics is the the sharing right now because it's so hyper competitive it almost would seem that uh it would have to be within the same industry but different adjacencies i'm going to go against that okay i'm going to say it's hyper competitive right now because there's a very small slice of the pie when you open up a commoditized 
activity yeah. like this, you broaden the pie dramatically. So you're no longer just fighting and spending your time and money trying to hack a problem. Why not go ahead and broaden the market for market access? Because the, the problem with access right now is that argument of the med tech, the data, sure. the HIPAA, and tying in all of that data. So now you broaden the market and suddenly, look, the best way to have an ally is to have a common opponent. The the, uh, the question mark I have is, you know, with robotics and they're, they're experts with anatomy, clinical, making the uh, actuators move. Uh, cloud computing, not yet, you know. And so, how do you how do you educate them on that? Um, and to the point where they feel comfortable with entering and what they're they think they're competing against. Right. So with well, you you when you, you walked me in here this morning, you talked about this incubator that sits right. next door. There's an incubator that's got a number of companies right. that have some commonality amongst them, or else they wouldn't be part of the incubator. They may have some software commonality. They may have some hardware commonality. They may have some investor commonality. They may have something that we can sort of start to point to, or if not, maybe there's things that we should look to force them into to say, look, why are you guys reinventing that when we have, we've already done that. You're either going to go on this platform and accelerate yourself, or you're really not part of our, our incubator. I mean, right. it's, it's an idea it's, to think about. Yeah. Um, it's really the investors themselves could then go invest in a company that builds the, the, the cloud. They, I mean, they could go say, well, look, what do, what do all these companies need? We're going to go invest in that. There yeah, it's like some of the common people that we know mm -hmm. uh, that have put us in touch. And then also uh, they're the influencers and they can say, why are you guys wasting time with this That's versus right. uh, coming together? That's what in, in investors did you know, a number of years ago. They said, why are you building your own data center? If you're not a cloud first company, we're not going to invest in you. If you're not building yeah. on Amazon, we're not going to invest in you. right? And, and so why would you go take our money and then go spend all that capital on building out your own Makes gear. No sense. It doesn't right. make any sense. They've done it. And again, a lot of this is rear view mirror business, right? So a lot of these CEOs, presidents, and even the strategic have romantically tied to what got them here today. And right. I really believe that that cloud is a huge solution in surgical robotics. And then it'll declare itself, Pochero will be a predictive healthcare, predictive analytics company that maybe a two, three, four billion dollar company because it's a cloud that you commoditize the heavy lifting on the analytics side, but now you're developing product. And it, it's kind of like if you look at SEALs training, right? Uh, it's not one SEAL that carries a telephone pole. It's a, a number of them. And it's a lot easier if it's everybody working together. It's the same thing. You could spend a lot of money creating your cloud or you could collaborate and work with others and, and make it uh, get to market faster. I mean, the software you build to go along with this device that you're building, I mean, that that easily could be, you know, orders of magnitude more valuable in the long term yeah. than, than just the device. I mean, the device is is a... Just it, delivers the data. It's Yeah, That's it's the it sensor. Does. It's the way that you get the data. And then you, what do you do with the data? You you analyze it, you share it, you store it, you connect it, you make it more useful yep. and valuable over time. So, And that platform may become something that you know, is more generic than just one particular type of device. You be, become something that you can plug a lot of things into. And I mean, that's the big picture goal for a lot of companies is how do we be the the hub or the integrator or the aggregator or the operating the system, oper whatever, you know, whatever it, it is, operating yeah. system for, for medical devices. Those are kind of the aspirations that, that companies, uh, you know, are, are immediately starting to think about once they get beyond the device itself. Got it. Well, this was wild. This is yeah. like a, E-ticket ride for me. My brain's going. You could 
I know. I awesome. feel like I need to go change my password on no. my computer. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, John, this has been unbelievable. Um, I love how you think. Thank you. And Joe, as always, thanks for a co-hosting. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, John. Sure. This thanks has been fantastic. Today. Yeah, this has been On the Line. I'm Joe Mullings with Joe Urban and John Engates. And thank you. 